Well, good morning. My name is Dave Hyatt. I'm on the pastoral staff here at Hershey Free Church, and um, I get to serve in the area of missions and local outreach. We have about 40 um, global servants who come uh, around the world, missionaries who, who serve the Lord in, in really wonderful and amazing ways. And uh, this is a, a great book. Actually, Titus is, a, is really a, a missionary treatise in some ways. But um, before we jump into Titus, I want to ask you a question. Um, do you think people can really change? Do you think it's possible for people to, to change at a fundamental level? Now, you're here at church, so I'm assuming at some level you think, yeah, you know, I'm here because I, I want to you know, get some, make some improvements in my life, some changes for the better. Um, so, but, you know, there's a ton of research being done right now, lots and lots of research about how or if people can change. And most folks don't think people can change very much. They think you can do some incremental change. You can change around the edges. You can nibble here. Maybe a traumatic event in your life will change things radically. But for the most part, they are, um, you know, say, well, if you, if you maybe pile your clothes up in front of your door... You, uh, your, your exercise clothes and stumble over them, you would be more inclined to exercise. Um, if you eat on a smaller plate, then your, your portion sizes might go down and you, you'll lose some weight. Um, maybe if you um, buy yourself a nice water bottle, pay 100 bucks for a water bottle, you'd be inclined to drink a little more water or, you know, different things like that. But you can just tweak around the edges to make changes. But is wholesale, real, radical life change possible for human beings? Well, the Apostle Paul seems to think so. In fact, he says that to the people in in Crete here, talking through Titus, he wants their lives to be changed to such an extent that the people around them who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ could look at their lives and say, wow, there is an entirely different way of being human that I never knew that I never experienced, that I would, I would like to experience. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know we've been talking through this theme of live well, do good, that the followers of Jesus, those who follow Jesus Christ, their lives, as they're, they're transformed by the work of God, they can, um, they're, they're the lens through which other people will look at the Christian faith. That the early Christian movement, as, as people become followers of Jesus, that those who are not yet followers will look and think good or ill about Christians, about the the Christian faith and the teachings of the the Christian faith by looking through the lens of the lives of the people around them. So Paul says, wow, if uh, last week we looked at and the the previous weeks we've looked at Paul's um, charge to them as they interact as families with one another, how they interact in the marketplace how Christians interact in um, loving submission, saying, like, as people, your lifestyle will make the truth of God attractive. Or, conversely, it could make it unattractive. If every Christian I know is a person that I do not like and I do not respect and I do not think they have a, a, the lifestyle that I, that I think is, is worthy of honor or respect, I would reject that out of hand. However... Paul is saying, look, the, the ongoing work of Jesus in your life can have a profound effect on you and make you the kind of people that other folks would look at. So let's look at this. Um, we're going to look at Titus 3, um, 1 through 7. 
Titus 3, 1 through 7. As you're turning there, I want to um, acknowledge that, yes, this is a family worship Sunday. We value families together worshiping. My, my kiddos and I and my wife have sat over here for a number of years, worship together. It's been one of the great joys of our lives. And so some of the things we're going to do today are uh, a little in, in light of having kiddos in the service. So that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, but just please, this is, not, this is something we do on occasion, but um, the every week you're, you're certainly welcome to bring your kids in here to be with us. And I hope, you, I hope you feel that and experience that. So we just want to start off that God's kindness, the big idea, you can go back to that big idea there, is that God's kindness rescues us and transforms us. God's kindness rescues and transforms. Now, Paul's going to talk about that. He's going to unpack it. But as we go along, we're going to see that, that is the, it's not through a human effort that we change. It's not through piling up our clothes in a certain way. It's not through email reminders or uh, getting things done, reading certain books by people. Those are, those are tweaks on the outside. But, but fundamental human change and transformation can be realized through the kindness of God. So... Let's have a look at, um, at, at Titus. We're going to look at each verse kind of individually um, and then kind of put them all back together. So I'm going to go through this quickly because I, I find these first verses um, pretty stark. It just says, remind the people. This is, this is Paul talking to Titus what he wants Titus to say to the people of Crete. And as, as you know, we've, we've talked about the Cretans, that they're, um, they're infamous for being lazy and liars and... Uh, scoundrels, really people that's a backwater kind of place and people don't think very highly of the Cretans. So Paul says, here's what I, I want you to remind them because apparently they've already been taught this, but remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities. That would be the Roman and Cretan authorities there to be, to be subject, to be good citizens. Remind them to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. Now, at face value, if you just read that, you're like, well, that's good advice. I tell my kids, hey, be nice, be gentle, whatever, uh, be peaceable. But if you read this a little deeper, you're just like, this is a ridiculous standard that Paul is, is charging them to. Remind them to be, to be subject to uh, rulers and authorities who are not good necessarily. Um, to remind them to, do, to be ready to do whatever is good in any situation. If there's wrong and there's right, do right. Do whatever is good. Always be ready to do the right thing. Don't be slanderous. Never say anything um, about people that is just not true. Don't be slanderous. Be peaceable. Be considerate. Always be gentle toward everyone. Now, go on. Now, this reminds me of when I was a kid. My mother worked all the time. She was a, a tired little Italian lady who worked, 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 worked. And uh, she was a single mom and would leave. When I would get home from school, my three brothers and I would show up and most often, mom would be off at work, and uh, there would be a note on the table, often on the back of an envelope, and usually it was about five words. It would say, eat. Easy command to follow. Eat. No mess. Love mom. That was it. Five words. Eat. No mess. Love mom. So is that what the Apostle Paul is, is telling us to do here? Is he just giving us raw commands to, to just, hey, remind them to be nice to each other? Get out there and take them down, team. Go, go. Just, you know, is that what Paul is doing? Is he saying, Timoth or Titus here, I want you to remind the people to just, is he, is he unaware of all the research that's been done, that people don't change just by, by force of command? I've been giving my kids good advice. My mom's writing good notes. You know, year after year, we're spilling ink on how to live. Nobody 
I would say, I heard someone say recently, if it was just a matter of knowledge, all of us would have six-pack abs and be billionaires. You know, if it was just knowing the right stuff to do, you know, we would go ahead and do it. Anybody here surprised that the diet and exercise are a great way of improving your health? Anyone surprised by that? If you are, uh, see me afterwards, please. Anyone here surprised that it, to know that if you save a little bit of money every month, if you put money aside that whenever a crisis happens, it won't be such a big crisis? Anybody here surprised to know that if, you know, if you do a little bit of reading, Reading every day, you'll get through books and you'll be smarter. You know, anybody surprised by any of this good advice? Absolutely not. It's not surprising, but is it is it possible? Are these well? These are the uh, these are the kind of tweaks on the outside. Is is this the sort of advice that Paul is giving? He's just like, hey, if you guys try harder, your life will be better, and God will use you. That is a profoundly non-Christian message. That is a a, a workspace that's just suck it up and go. That's my wrestling coach in the wrestling room. Hyatt, suck it up, you punk. You know, but that is not the message of the Christian life. It really is not what God has called us to. Um, he has called us to something much more profound, much deeper. And if you wonder if Paul understands how messed up people are, how difficult it is for them, uh, for us to live, if he, if he is maybe unaware of the current research about human na- nature, well, let's read what Paul has to say in, in verse 3, what he has to say about um, what the, the people are naturally in and of themselves. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Does Paul think that change is just something that can come on just by sheer force of effort? Or does he think that in our natural selves, as we're born and raised, is it, whether it's nature or nurture, that this is who, who we, we naturally tend to be, to be enslaved by our own passions, to be hated and hating others, disobedient, living in malice, foolish, um, living in envy towards other people. So he's saying, but I, I want you to be uh, kind and gracious and not slander anyone. I want you to be obedient. To, but he's like, here's who... And he doesn't just say Cretans. He's no longer just talking about the Cretan people, right? He says at one time, we too, Titus, all of us, the Cretans, you, me, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So Paul is, has no um, silly Pollyanna-ish, um, everything's going to be fine if you just work harder view of human nature. He just he does not. Paul has a, a, a deep understanding of how broken it is as humans, how, how difficult it is to do the right thing. He understands um, that we don't have the ability to just, um, to just work ourselves into to good places. And these, these words, if you look at them, I, I, I thought of these like, nobody has chalkboards anymore, I guess, but they're like nails on a chalkboard just screeching this ugly, ugly description of the, of the human life outside of a relationship with God. It reminds me of um, a story when I was a kid. Um, I was about seven or eight years old, and um, I, was in, I was out in a pond with my little brother. So I'm going to introduce you to my, my brothers and myself here. So, um, so this isn't a description of how bad people can be. So we weren't uh, 
you know, whiskey-swilling, gun-toting kids or anything. This was a staged picture. But um, so I'm the, I'm the guy in the middle there with the scowl and the Jack Daniels. Um, it's not real, just so you know. Um, the guns aren't real. It was staged. I'll just say that again. But my little brother, who's on my right there, he um, and I were out in a pond. And, and we're swimming around and uh, having a good time. And as we're, we're, we got into some deeper water and um, started sinking down in the mud. And uh, got stuck in there and so that the water was up over our head. You could see neither of us were very big fellows. Um, and we were climbing on top of each other for air, uh, pushing each other down to, to get air so we could, could breathe. And um, fortunately, my oldest brother, who's, who's there, the biggest one, he came. Rick came, grabbed us, picked us out, took us up onto the shore, and we were, we were fine. As you can see, I'm still breathing just fine. Um, but... Paul says that, 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 that your lives outside of before a relationship with God is one where, where you're looking to get life from other people. You're, you're enslaved. It's, a, it's, um, it's just who you were. You're brought under this enslavement for your own passions and pleasures. You're living in malice and envy and being hated and hating one another. It's like we have to, we're like these emotional life vampires. We have to take from other people. We think that the only way, the only source of life is what I take from you. The only source, I have to protect my own resources. They're, they're limited. This, this um, universe is a, is a place that's negative and bad, and I have to gather and cobble together things um, for myself. I have to protect my own territory, my own reputation, that that's how life works. And Paul's saying that is, is part of the fall. We as, we as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we believe that all of, all of the universe, all humanity fell when Adam and Eve sinned, that we came, our relationship with God was fractured. We were dead spiritually. We were, um, I won't say we were incapable of doing anything good. I, 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 we were unable to do perfect. We were, everything we did was Tainted by sin is what the Bible says. Everything was tainted. We're not as bad as we could possibly be. You may have heard of the, the Christian doctrine of depravity. Depravity. And I used to think that meant that we were as bad as we could possibly be. It, it doesn't, but it means that everything that, w- that we did and when, we're, when our spirits are dead has in it the, the, the hint of sin. It's, it's not that it's rooted in our own selfishness, but it's, it's affected by, by that fall. So like me and my little brother, I would never uh, wanted to hurt my brother. I, I did want to pound him sometime. That's not true. But, um, but I would not want to take his life or anything. But in my desperation for air, because I thought I, I needed to climb up on him, and I didn't even think about it, neither did he. And uh, so that's who, who we were. So Paul says that, as we saw in that slide, that we were hated and disobedient and foolish and enslaved. And yet, he can tell people in that first, uh, first, those first couple verses that he wants them to do good. Even though he knows that in themselves they're unable to do good. So, so here we are in this dilemma. He's like, I want you to be always ready to do good. I always want you to do everything, I choose the right way every single time. But I recognize that here's who we were. Here's who we were. Well, what's Paul waiting for? If you hear that were language, you know that it's setting us up for, but it's not who we are. It's not who we are. If we'll turn to the, uh, the, the next couple of verses in, uh, in, in Titus, Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. 
There's this beautiful little formula, at one time, but when. At one time, this is who we were, but when. And we come to this formula, it says something profound has happened. Something has changed all of reality, all of time and history. And here's what it says. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, not because of good things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life, having the hope of eternal life. So What was true of us before, those words of hated and enslaved and slaves to our passion and envying has now changed to something. We've been washed. We've received mercy. We've received God's love. We've been renewed by his spirit. We've experienced kindness. We've become heirs. We have hope of eternal life. We've been saved. We've been justified by his grace. We've been born anew. So Paul can say, absolutely, you can be different. Absolutely, you can be changed. It's just this litany of beautiful theological and uh, terms that he just lays out here. This was, um, most people think it was, a, it was a poem. It was a liturgical poem, these words that he's, he's using here that he lays out. And so I just want to go through some of them because they're so profound. So, so first, when he says the kindness and love of God appeared, he's referring specifically to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus at Christmas that we celebrate and we sing about. Actually, in the first service, we sang a Christmas hymn, and it was, it was beautiful just to reflect on the coming of Jesus when the kindness and love of God appeared in Christ. It changed everything. Uh, one old, old uh, theologian, Augustine, he says that when Christ appeared, it took humanity off the wheel of performance, that life would go life and death and life and death and life and death forever. Christ broke that wheel when he showed up. So the kindness and love of God appeared. And, and beautifully, the word that Paul uses here for, for love, it's the only time he uses it in the New Testament. It's, it's philanthropia. Does that sound familiar? Philanthropy. It's the word for philanthropy, God's love towards people. God's love towards people, his, his philanthropic disposition. So God showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. If you wonder what kindness and love looks like, it looks like Jesus Christ. We looked at that last week. If you, uh, if you were with us, Paul uses almost the exact same language in chapter 2 and chapter 3 here, that the, the kindness and love of God, our Savior Jesus, appeared and he saved us. He saved us. So saved, you know, lovely word. You know, it sounds very religious here in a church context, saved. But it just meant to be rescued, like my big brother coming, my brother Rick, snatching me and my little brother Rob by the, uh, by the neck and dragging us out up onto the shore and saying, there, fellas, there's plenty of air. You don't have to drown each other. You don't have to fight for space. There's plenty of air. Breathe freely. That's what God has done. He saved us. He, he waded into the mess and the muck and the mire, and he grabbed us and he snatched us out, and he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, not because of the good things you did or will do or could possibly do. It's because of his own mercy. It says it was because of his, his mercy and Paul isn't looking at, and God wasn't looking at, the, um, that they would tithe or they would pray or they would come to church or they would become Sunday school class teachers or elders. Nope, none of that. It was because of his mercy he saved them through the washing of rebirth. 
the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Spirit. Today is my 51st birthday. Uh, 51st, thank you very much. Yep. So I, um, yeah, so when I read this um, rebirth, rebirth. I was born 1968, um, Connellsville Hospital in Western Pennsylvania. Um, and it was, a, it was a good day by all accounts. I don't know. I don't remember it to be honest, but, um, it was the day I was born. I was born physically into the world. You know, I, I came, but about 15 years later, I was born anew. I, I came to realize that, like uh, someone explained to me, actually it was, uh, Interestingly, it was my oldest brother, same guy who saved me physically there, who shared with me that, that God had given his life for me, that I could start life all over again. Not physically, not, you know, be a baby again, but that I could start a new spiritual life, that I could have new life because of what Jesus had done. I could have a new heart. My inability to do good, to respond to God's good, my, my, um, could, could be turned into a new ability. I could be given new life if I would receive the mercy and grace of Jesus that's spoken about here. And so I did, and I was born anew. And suddenly, a new life began. A new life began in me. Now, I don't mean to imply, and and please, you can ask my wife, ask my kids, ask anybody who's known me for more than 13 seconds. I'm not perfect by any stretch. Um, There's still a ton of mess in my life. And the Apostle Paul, even though these words sound so lofty, he, he, he... Obviously, he wants them to be reminded that here's who they need to be because they forget and they revert. And we'll we'll talk about that. But now the possibility is that they can be made, that they can live a different kind of life because they've been made new for good. If you'll switch to the next one, that they have been made new for good, that the, um, that the people in Crete have been made new to do good things. And it's, it's made new, not just to do good, but for good eternally. So I did that on purpose, that play on words there. But that they have been made new um, for the rest of eternity, but they have also been made new so they can do good. They can accomplish the good that that Paul has talked about here in the first couple of verses, what he wants them to be like because they have been made new for good. And they have... uh, One other thing I... um, My last name, I said earlier, is Hyatt, right? Hyatt, H-Y-A-T-T. Um, a joke that, you know, everybody and their, uh, their brother, and when they're talking to me, I say, oh, Hyatt, it's like the hotels, right? Any relation to the people who own the hotels? Well, not that I know of. And I always say, not that I know of, but if I get a big check someday, I'll be a happy guy. So, um, so when Paul talks about these guys being heirs of eternal life here, now consider this. I, I looked up the market capitalization. That's how much all the stock in Hyatt Hotels is worth last night. And it's a little over $8 billion. Mention I got three brothers, so I would share with them. Um, but if, if we each got a check for $2 billion a piece saying, hey, Hyatt, you are, in fact, the, uh, the, uh, the heirs to the, the Hyatt fortune. There you go. Live large and prosper. Um, so that would be cool, right? I could spend a million dollars a day for 2,000 days in a row and still have some change left over. You know, that would be cool. And if, if we got up, Deb got up and said, hey, uh, budget's falling a little short this year. You know, we need 50 grand to close the gap. So this fiscal 50 grand, dang, man, I could do that in my sleep. I could do 50 grand all day long, every day. So, you know, it, it changes my disposition, right? That kind of 
wealth. And so when, when Paul talks about here that we have become heirs of eternal life, we've become heirs of eternal life, I don't, we don't need then to be looking over here for life. I've got to take life for you. I've got to slander someone so that I feel better about myself. I have to envy someone so that I feel better about myself. I have to be enslaved to my passions and my pleasures because that's the only way I get life. He's like, nope. Life is just flowing into you from the grace and mercy of God. So you've got more than enough, an abundance of life, and it's just overflowing. So they have been made new for good. And now, and now we can go back to and look at the, uh, the, his charge to say, so what do I want you to live like? What do I want you to, to be like? Their lives, um, what, what would it look like for this to overflow? So I want to take a little break here and um, let you, especially if you're here with your kids, but, but adults too, I'm going to ask you to join in. We're going to take a little break and ask you a question and say, what does it look like for us to live like people who have been made new? and received love and kindness through Jesus. Just to turn, we're going to take three or four minutes and, and to discuss this. So those, those two lives, what, what would it look like to live a life that, that's new? How would we be treating other people? For, for those who have received kindness from God, what would that look like? So we're just going to go ahead and take a break for a couple minutes and, uh, and think on that, and then I'll come back up in a couple minutes, okay? So... Do you want me to show you the answer of what that would look like? No, I'm just, and what would it look like? Well, Paul, Paul has told us, at least in, in, uh, in the Cretan context, what that would look like, right? For these guys, what it would look like for them to, to be different. But for you, that's going to look really, really different. That's because God is really, really clever and, and making us all unique and putting us in different places. Now, I recognize that um, some of you will lose, lose sleep tonight if you don't get to fill in your blanks. So um, I'll come back to this. Uh, let your life be, uh, your lives be evidence that demands a verdict. Now, I'll come back to that, but I wanted you to make sure you were able to fill in your blank because that, that could be problematic for some people. I might um, cause marital strife for me, but uh, I would not have that for any of you all either. So, so Paul here, let's, let's go back to the beginning of this passage. Okay, let's go back to the beginning of this passage. Does Paul believe that people can change? Well, yes and no. He doesn't, I don't think he, he, he would expect this level of change by sheer human effort, by the putting of your shoes and your, your exercise clothes out, kind of tweak, you know, nudges and smaller plates and, and change of diet. Um, he would not expect this level of character change by those little nudges. Does he think a person can be changed can be made new by the power of God so that they can live a completely different life? Absolutely. He does believe that. So let's go back. And in light of that, let's read what Paul is um, commanding the people, what he is telling them to be reminded of. So he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. This is no eat, no mess, love mom notes. Paul is appealing to who they have become in Jesus Christ. As we, we sang about, I am who you say I am. Now we, are, we have new life coursing through our veins. So 
When we come to the, the idea of, can I be subject to rulers that I don't always agree with, to whether it's a Democratic governor or a Republican president or blah, 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 blah. Can I, can I be a good citizen? Can I pray for this, this person who's in authority? Can I, can I pay my taxes? Can I, can I serve well? Can I go and cast my vote? Can I not just grumble and be bitter and hateful? Yes, I can. Because I recognize that all of my hope is not tied up in, in Nero or Tom Wolfe or Donald Trump or Silvio Berlusconi or whomever. It really, my hope is rooted in Jesus Christ and who he has made me. My, my hope is in the fact that he rescued me. So it was never in those things to begin with. And if it was in those things, those people, those men, those women, then I was, that my hope was misplaced to begin with. So I can be a good citizen. I can pray for, I can earnestly um, be an obedient and compliant citizen in my, in my context. I can be subject to the rulers and authorities. I can go ahead and apply for a building permit when I need to. Nah, that's stupid. I'm not going to do it. No, I'm going to go ahead and do it. They, there, are, there are authorities in my life that are instituted by the kindness and grace of God. I don't always agree with them. And there may be times that I disagree so stridently that I, I have to disobey, but that's a real rarity that um, we don't experience. But I, so I can be subject. Um, I can be ready to do whatever is good because my tank is full. I'm not always poised to think, okay, when is there an opportunity for me to snatch something from someone else because I'm so needy and desperate I've got to take. No, I can be ready to do good because God has done good to me. I can be here. I can um, hold my tongue whenever everybody's around gossiping. I can slander no one. I can say, I don't need to. um, I don't need something bad to be true about Joe over there. For me to feel good about myself. In fact, whenever everybody, that, that Joe, man, what's up with him? He and I turn blah, 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 and he doesn't, you know, I could say, you know, Joe, man, he's a hard worker. I, every, every time I need something, he's there. He's, he's on. And did you ever do that? Did you ever, when people are gossiping about someone, you just speak life, speak hope, say something good? Suddenly the conversation changes. They're like, oh, Dave's not a safe guy to gossip around. He's not a safe person to slander other people around. I worked at a movie theater and, uh, all the, the young ladies who worked at the concession stand and the other doormen, and they, they would be grumbling and, and talking about other people. And, and they were like, Dave, why don't you grumble about people? I said, well, one, because I know as soon as I walk away, you're going to grumble about me. You know, I, I might be 16, but I'm not stupid. Um, but also, it's, it's just not life-giving. I know they're good guys. You know, John and Russ, they clean up the theaters. They do a good job. So speak, speak good about people, right? Um, don't be slanderous. We don't, we don't have to be slanderous. Be peaceable and considerate towards other people. Our response doesn't have to be, you know, one of fighting. You know, we can be peaceable and considerate because of what Christ has done. We can always be gentle toward everyone. We don't have a need to take because we've become a new person. We have these resources. We have this life of God coursing through us. And here's where it becomes evidence that demands a verdict. That's a, a book by a, um, Josh McDowell, former colleague of mine on staff with, with Crew with Campus Crusade. But evidence, our lives become this evidence that demands a verdict. As people look on and see our lives, Paul said in, in chapter 2, verse 10, he said that, that your life can make the teaching of God, our Savior, attractive. It makes so your life becomes evidence that demands a verdict for Jesus. Is the gospel true or is it not true? And they're like, well, that person looks transformed. Maybe transformation really is possible. Maybe life, different kind of life really is possible. 
So I, um, I love the Apostle Paul. I think he's, he's brilliant, the, the remarkable, remarkable theologian, a remarkable man of God used by God to write his, a big chunk of the New Testament. But I, I come away sometimes frustrated with the how. How? I just want a couple of steps like what can I just do um, and, and he, he's frustrating because he doesn't give any simple, like, this is what it is, just boom, 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 these three steps. And, but in saying that, I'm going to give you three steps, okay? They are, they're, they're not simple, though. They're, they're not simple because transformation, they're actually in, in this sanctuary a number of years ago, somebody talked about how long does it take to get mature? And um, there was, I think it was... Uh, J. Oswald Sanders, an old Australian fellow, he was 95 at the time. I'm sure this has been 25 years ago. He's long gone. But he said, well, it depends what you want to be. A squash can mature in a couple weeks. He said, an oak tree takes a long time. An oak tree takes a long time. So it depends what you want to be. So um, I'm not saying this will all happen instantaneously, miraculously. But, but this transformation can begin. And here are some tips on how to do it. First, I think in light of what Paul says here, you have to remember. You have to know it. You have to remember who you are. As we sang there, I am who you say I am. We have to remind ourselves over and over of who we truly are in, in Christ, what God has done in our lives. And that requires you're always receiving input all the time, right? Inputs are coming into your life. So you need good inputs, and that's through reading God's word, through getting together with other followers of Jesus. Like, here's who you are, if indeed you've made that decision to follow Jesus. Secondly, I think there are areas of life where God comes. It's like our, our life is a, is a house, and there are different rooms, and sometimes it gets to a door, and we're like, not, not in there, God. You can't, you can't go in there. He's like, well, I'm going. You know, um, that we have to submit, that, that there can't be areas of our life that we cordon off. We say, I, I really, we need to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in every area of our life because they will, they will, those will be barriers if you don't, to submit to the work of the Spirit. And then when you get off the path, when you forget who you are, when you start living out of that old dead person reality, you just, you turn away from that. You acknowledge that you're off the path of life and you receive grace and you get back on. You pray a prayer like, oh, God, here I was just trying to take life from my, my friend here. I, I assumed that if I said something bad about them to someone else, it would make me feel good about myself. And that's just not how you've made the universe work. You've made it so that you have filled me with life by what Jesus did on his cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, your kindness and your love appeared, and I can have life in you. I don't need to take from others. And you just forgive me, and then you just drive on by the grace and kindness of God. So we are going to, um, to, to have a song here. I just want you to reflect on maybe an area of your life where God is, um, is wanting to work and to, to remind you of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to assume everybody here knows this truth, and I, I, I want to invite you to consider that, that Jesus Christ, everything he, he accomplished, he accomplished for us when his kindness and love appeared, this philanthropic love of God, it came so that we could have a relationship with God that was more than just, um, more, more than just one that's transactional. This never was through the good, the good works of people. This was through the kindness and love of God.